Anyway, we will go ahead and get started. We're going to look at Colossians 2, 8 through 15 this evening. Are we complete in Christ alone? Uh, before we start, let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is an oasis in a desert. I thank you that it is the joy of our heart, for we are called by your name. And I pray that we would be like the prophet Jeremiah this evening, that your words, we would find the joy and rejoicing of our heart, and we would um, just feast on the riches of this precious portion of your word, that we are complete in you, Father. We do not need anything else, even though the world will tell us we do, even though some well-meaning Christian friends will tell us that we need something else. But, Lord, we do not. And I just pray that the ladies would grasp the depth of what Paul is trying to convey to the Colossian believers as well as to us sitting here this evening. We pray that our hearts would be readied to receive your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story is told that is true of a pastor who was attending some uh, spiritual conferences in a town and he was staying with some friends of his. And uh, this particular night, the friends didn't go with him to the conference. And so he stayed out a little bit later after the conference went out with some friends afterwards. So when he got back to the house, it was about 11 o'clock and he was knocking on the door, you know, hoping that they would open the door to let him in and nothing happened. So he went around to the back of the house and knocked on the door and By this time, he was a little bit frantic because it was late at night and still no one opened the door. So he called and the host answered the phone and he said, hey, he said, I'm standing here at the door. And he said, you're not you're not no one's opening the door. And the host said back to him, friend, you have a key in your coat pocket. Don't you remember? I gave it to you before you left. And sure enough, the guy put his hand in his pocket, and he completely forgot that he had a key to the house right there in his pocket. And we've all probably had experiences like that. Have you ever uh, been walking around saying, where's my cell phone? Where's my cell phone? And it's like, it's right in your hand, you know. Or, uh, you know, where are my keys? Where are my keys? One time my husband was looking for his keys, and they were actually in the freezer, but I don't, we don't know how they got there. But, um, you know... And and the thing is, you're looking for your phone or your keys, and they're just right there in front of you. And I use this illustration because experience like these are perfect illustrations of what Paul is going to try to convey in these few short verses we have this evening. He's going to try to help the Colossian believers to understand they have everything they need in Christ right in their spiritual back pocket. He is the key to every spiritual blessing they could ever desire. And to seek something more is like frantically knocking on a door, seeking what's inside, not realizing you hold the key right there in your pocket. Ladies, we are complete in him. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're wondering, like maybe some at the church at Colossae were wondering, are we really complete in Christ alone? Don't I need something else besides him? How can this be? How come I don't need anything else? Well, we're going to discover the answers as we read and study verses 8 through 15 of chapter 2. So let's read them together. Notice what he says. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. 
For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, which also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it now as we consider the question are we really complete in christ we're going to answer the question with the acrostic for those of you that have been in my bible studies i love acrostics i don't just helps remember but we're going to put it in the uh, the in the acrostic complete c o m p l e t e if you're taking notes and so paul answers all this in this text now it won't be in the order necessarily but i will give them to you as we go along now i know a lot of you were not here last week i would encourage you to listen Uh, to the lecture from last week because it really flows well into this one. And as we began began chapter 2, as Paul gave four uh, uh, requests for those that were caught up in heresy and four recommendations, and we saw that the requests were very pertinent to the heresy that was creeping into the church, that their hearts would be comforted because, you know, when false teaching comes in, you kind of get disjointed. Should I believe this false teaching? Should I not believe this false teaching? And so Paul asked that their hearts would be comforted, that they would be knit together in love. Also, when false teaching comes into a church, uh, what happens? It usually, we brought out last week, how it usually uh, results in a church split. When you have false teaching that comes together, that's why Paul says, I'm praying that you'll be knit together in love, that they would have the full assurance of complete understanding, that they would be grounded in the truth of God's word. And then we also saw he had four recommendations for them. Uh, And ladies, these are recommendations for us. If you want to make sure that you are not swept away by false teaching. Paul says there are four things that you must do. This is review from last week. You must walk with God. In other words, you're making progress in your spiritual walk. You're in the word. You're praying. You're meeting with God's people. You needed to be rooted in him. We talked about the like a root that grows way down into the ground where, you know, you can't even pull it out. We need to be rooted in him, built up in him, strong in our faith, and abounding with thanksgiving. And uh, that was probably the most puzzling one, but not when you think about it. Because, ladies, if we're a thankful people, if we're thankful Christians, we're going to be content in our relationship with Christ. And so we're not looking for something else to satisfy us. Uh, We're going to be thankful for Christ alone. Now, Paul is still warning them as we come to verse 8. He's warning them about the dangerous heresy that is being presented to them. And he's encouraging them in the next few verses, they have everything they need in Christ alone. Why would you want to be caught up in heretical teaching when you have everything in Christ in your spiritual back pocket? So let's consider our first reason why we are complete in Christ alone from verse 8. Paul says, beware lest anyone cheat you, or your translation might say spoil you, through philosophy and vain or empty deceit. Paul says, take heed, be aware, you better keep your eyes ever open for this, he says. Now, what are they to be aware about? What are you and I to be aware about? That no one cheats us by philosophy 
and vain or empty deceit. Now, the Greek tense here is in the future indicative, which means this not has not necessarily happened to the believers yet. But Paul fears because of the heresy coming into the church that some of the believers at Colossae are going to be swept away. And so he says, beware lest anyone do this to you. And notice the, that Paul uses the word anyone. He's used that uh, also that same term in verse 4, anyone. Beware lest anyone deceive you. And you might say, well, why is that important? Ladies, this is a warning to us. Do you know Satan is always on the prowl trying to deceive God's people? He is seeking whom he may devour. And so it could be your best friend. It could be, I, I tell you anymore, I'm just, I'm grieved at uh, what is going on in the churches today. And it's, I was having lunch with a friend today and we were just reminiscing about, are there any faithful? Is there anyone faithful anymore? Is there anyone zealous for the Lord anymore? And you know, don't ever think that you're above being deceived. And so Paul says, beware lest anyone deceive you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, what does he mean? Your translation might say cheat. Don't let anyone cheat you. Well, the word actually means to seduce or kidnap. And it has the idea of carrying you off captive as a slave. In other words, don't let anyone lead you away as prey. And ladies, Peter is very clear about this in Second Peter where he writes, there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who destructively bring in seductive heresies, even denying the Lord God that bought them. And he says many, I think that's interesting, many follow their pernicious ways. And so sometimes when I'm watching uh, what I believe is a false teacher and you see these tens of thousands of people, this verse comes to mind, many follow after them or her, whoever it is. And it says, because of the way of truth is blaspheme. Now listen to this. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's from First Peter. Ladies, that's very serious. You know, even Jesus himself said, beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravening wolves. They're out to destroy you. Even Paul himself warned the elders at Ephesus. He remember he said for three years, I cease not to warn you day and night with tears that after my departure, some even on the elder board are going to arise up and draw disciples after them. They're going to lead people astray. And he says, you better watch. And remember, I warned you of this. And he says they will be savage wolves, not sparing the flock. And so, ladies, even there at the church of Ephesus, there were elders on the elder board, if you can imagine, that deceived and seduced people. And so we need to be careful. Beware lest anyone deceive you. Um, In fact, I was talking to someone just recently, and I said, Give me a chapter and a verse for that idea that you just said. Where is that in the Bible? And so that's that's my go-to. Give me a chapter and a verse. Uh, where is it in the scriptures? And then I might consider it. But uh, if it can't be backed up with scripture, then you need to be careful about that. So how do false teachers deceive? Notice what Paul says by philosophy and empty to see, deceit. Now, what is philosophy? Philosophy means being fond of wise things or the love of wisdom. But Paul is using it here in the sense of vain speculation. 
The Colossian believers were in danger of relying on reasoning and not truth. Ladies, philosophy can sound very good, but believe me, it is deceptive. In fact, it's deceitful, it's empty, it's vain. That's what Paul says. This means it's empty delusion, it's void of truth. Why? Because it's deceptive, it cannot redeem its promises. In fact, empty deceit has a tendency to take men away from Christ and weaken their trust in him as their savior. Now, I could spend a lot of time, and I will not, but I, I could spend the rest of our time speaking to you this evening about the danger of Christian psychology and Christian psychiatry. It is a dangerous trap. It has captured many a believer, and I would encourage you to flee from it. It is exactly what Paul is saying. Beware about empty deceit philosophy. In fact, uh, you might say, well, Susan, where's that chapter and verse to back up what you just said? Well, I'll give you one. Romans 15:14. Paul says, I'm confident you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, and you all are able to counsel each other. Ladies, you don't need a Christian psychologist or psychiatrist. You know what you need? You need a good Christian friend that will tell you the truth and know the word of God well enough to admonish you and help you. And this is important because, you know, right now in America, there are only there right now is over 250 types of counseling that that you can go to. And none of them are biblical. None of them are Christian. And so we as God's children want to be very careful that we are not caught up in empty deceit and philosophy. In fact, in fact, notice what Paul says. He says this nonsense is nothing but what? Tradition of men. Now, what does this mean? Well, tradition of men is Jewish law, which was handed down from generation to generation. And I hope you did your homework this week uh, because there was a lot in there about the danger of keeping <clears throat> traditions of men, especially if they contradict the word of God. In fact, if you'll recall, Jesus calls those who keep traditions, he calls them hypocrites. <laughs> That's very, very serious. Ladies, listen up. Because we're getting ready to enter into the holidays. Just because something is a tradition does not make it biblical. Make sure it is backed up with scripture. In fact, Paul says these things are not only traditions of men, but they're according to the basic principles of the world. Now, what is that? Well, this is a reference to the elementary principles of the world, things that are elementary and not heavenly, things that are earthly and not heavenly. It's like the alphabet, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's what it is. It's elementary. It's, it's childish. In fact, one man puts it like this. To abandon biblical truth for empty philosophy is like returning to kindergarten after you've earned a doctorate. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go back to the ABCs, the elementary principles? In fact, Paul warns the church at Galatia about this very same thing in Galatians 4. He says, even so we, when we were children, we were bondage under what? The elements of the world. But he says, now you've known God. Why are you turning back to those weak and beggarly elements? Why do you want to be under bondage of that stuff? Ladies, to remain under such legalistic bondage is not a sign of spiritual maturity. In fact, do you know 
If you're a legalist, you know what it's a sign of? It's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. A, B, C, D. One, two, three, four. In fact, you know, Paul addresses the same thing in Hebrews. When he talks about, you know, the time has come, you should be teachers. But you know what's happening? You're going back again to those elementary principles. He said you're going back to the milk when you should be grown up and you should be eating the meat. And so, ladies, we need to be so careful. So Paul says in this verse, this is not according to Christ. These things aren't according to Christ. This isn't Christianity. We are complete in Christ alone. Why? Well, according to this verse, and this is the M on your acrostic, man's ideas are foolish. (laughs) Those elementary principles, traditions of men, man's ideas are foolish. My friend, man's ideas are foolish, and they will keep you from being complete in Christ. I can't tell you how many times as a biblical counselor I've had women come in for counseling, and they have said, Susan, you are the first biblical counselor or Christian counselor that I've had that's told me I'm in sin. Others just say, well, you know, it's your parents' fault, or you need to go back to your, you know, you need to get in touch with your psyche or something. Ladies, man's ideas are foolish. They're foolish. We are complete in Christ. Well, in verse 9, Paul gives another reason why we're complete in Christ. He says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, the word dwell means to house permanently. And we've had this before. The divine nature of God dwells in Christ. In fact, the word became flesh. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. The word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. And we've already also brought this out. That in the upper room, when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will satisfy us. Remember what Jesus said, Philip? Have I been such a long time with you and you still don't know me? To see me is what? To see the Father. And so in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And this is important. Remember what the Gnostics taught? All matter is evil. Therefore what? The body is what? Evil. Jesus' body was what? Evil. And so they diminished Christ to what? He's just an angel. He's just a guy. But Paul says no. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ladies, this is another reason why we're complete in Christ, and this is the E on your acrostic. Entirety is in Christ. Entirety is in Christ. You know everything that God is, Christ is? Everything that God is, Christ is. So why would we want to seek anything apart from him? Why would we want to do it? Well, Paul moves on yet to another reason why we're complete in Christ in verse 10. He says, you're complete in him. He is the head of all principality and power. You're complete in him. You're full in him. You're satisfied in him alone. In fact, the meaning is here that you have been filled already with him. And the present result is that you're still in the state of being full in fact it's kind of like have you ever been so full uh we're getting ready to celebrate thanksgiving i always think about thanksgiving you know sometimes you get so full that you just go lay on the couch and you can't move for a while and you just can't eat another bite of food that's kind of what paul's saying 
You have no room for anything else because you're complete in Christ. You're so full of him. You look at all that stuff and you go, why would I want that? When I can have him, why would I want to go there? When I can have Christ, he's all we need. And ladies, it should be a concern for us. When we look for satisfaction in people, we look for our satisfaction in things. We look for satisfaction in the next event that's going to come. And yet we have everything we need in Christ There is no lasting pleasure except in Christ alone. And ladies, this is the P on your acrostic when we consider why we are complete in him. Pleasure is found in him alone. Pleasure is found in him alone. Well, Paul goes on to remind them of what he's referred to in Colossians 1.16. When he wrote that God created all principalities and powers. And now he said he's the head of all principalities and powers. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if you create something out of nothing, then you're the head of that, right? And so he created all principalities and powers. And he is the head of all principalities and powers. Well, Paul goes on in verse 11 to remind them of yet another reason why they're complete in Christ alone. Notice what he says. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about when he says we are circumcised with circumcision that is not with hands? Well, the word circumcision actually means to cut around. And for those of us who have birthed baby boys, Uh, We know what that is, right? And the Jews would have their baby boys circumcised on the eighth day because it was a uh, emblatic, that's not the word. Well, it was a symbol. Let's put that. It was a symbol of being joined to the covenant, uh, that they were now under the covenant. But some Jews took it so far to say, well, you know, if you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. And Paul refutes that in Romans 2:28. He said he is not a Jew who's one outwardly, nor is circumcision, but he is a Jew who is what inwardly. And circumcision, circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so Paul reminds them here: you're circumcised, but not with human circumcision. That's not what you're to be circumcised with. Ladies, we as Christians have a different circumcision. It's not physical. It is spiritual. It's a circumcision of our heart. What is that? Putting off the body of the sins of our flesh. In fact, the word putting off means to strip off like you would uh, dirty clothes. You know, you come in and you've been outside mowing the yard or sweating or Uh, working like my son used to tar roofs and he'd come home as a senior in high school and I'd say, before you come in that door, Charles, heck, take off those clothes. Uh, That's kind of what it is. Put them off. Throw them off. So, yes, ladies, there is a cutting away, but it's not of our skin. It is our sin. And that's what Paul is trying to say. The circumcision of the heart cannot come unless you put off the body of the sins of your flesh. In fact, the word putting off here means we totally break away from them. In fact, when we get to chapter 3, Paul's going to say, mortify the deeds of your flesh. Put them to death. Get rid of them. 
Ladies, do we want to work from the human surgeon or a work from the divine spirit? Do we want an inward change or do you just want an outward change? Do you want removal of excess skin or removal of excess sin? Which is it that you want? My friend, Christ is always interested in our heart. He's interested in our heart, not the outward manifestations of religion, which is what the Jews were seeking, the circumcision of the flesh. And this heresy was creeping into the church there at Colossae. In fact, if you remember in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, that's what it was all about. And they were saying, you guys are trying to put a a yoke on the neck of the disciples, saying they have to be circumcised to be saved. Ladies, we don't want to go back to those legalistic rituals, right? In fact, that's why Jesus gives the compelling gospel in Matthew 11:30, where he says, Come unto me, all you are labor and heavy laden. Take your yoke upon me and learn of me. For what? I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest to your soul. We don't want to be yoked to those traditions. We want to be yoked to Christ. Ladies, we are complete in him. This is the C on your acrostic. Why are we complete in him? Because circumcision is in Christ. Your circumcision is in Christ. And ladies, the wonderful thing about circumcision is, you know, once you've been circumcised in your heart, that's all you need. Not so circumcision of the flesh. I can say this because my son-in-law, my son is not in here and neither is my daughter-in-law, but Charles's circumcision didn't take. We had to have him circumcised twice. But, you know, sometimes you have to do it more than once. But uh, with the spiritual circumcision, it's just one time that you have to be circumcised. That's all you need. Well, Paul goes on with yet another reason why we're complete in Christ in verse 12. He says, we're buried with him in baptism, which also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, to better understand what Paul is saying, turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And notice what Paul says here. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? He says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, if we are buried with him through baptism unto death, just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of God through the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, then we will be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we will no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin what's paul saying what's he saying here what's he saying in colossians lady when we when we get baptized in water baptism you know when you're uh, immersed you know buried with him in baptism it is a sign that you have entered into company with christ and then when they raise you up what does that mean to new life in christ the power of the resurrected life in fact i've tell you a funny story it has nothing to do with this lesson, but it does, but it's not in my nose. But my husband was baptizing someone in the Jordan River, and he's a big guy, man. And uh, when we went to Israel, and it was so funny, Doug says, buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. You never could get the guy out of the Jordan River. And uh, it was hilarious. It has nothing to do with my nose, but it was kind of funny. But he finally did get up. But um, that's what water baptism pictures. We are buried with him, and we are risen to new life 
in Christ. Ladies, water baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. We are risen with him by the working of God, which is his resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ladies, the same energizing power that raised Christ from the dead has raised us to newness of life. So why do we not think we're complete in Christ? We are because of the other E on your acrostic. Energizing power of God raised Christ and it raised us. The energizing power of God raised Christ and it raised us. Ladies, the false teachers and their teaching offer nothing of that value. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion that has a risen Savior? None of the other religions out there have a risen Savior. We have a Savior, a Lord that is still alive. All the others are dead. Ladies, the false teachers cannot energize you other than to energize you with doctrines of demons. But we have a living Savior. Well, Paul continues to write in verse 13, and he says, You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, to be uncircumcised pictures our moral and spiritual condition before we knew Christ. Ladies, we were guilty. We were hopeless. We were sinful. Before Christ, you were spiritually dead. Did you know that? You could not respond to anything. I remember before I became a believer, I read my Bible every day, just like every good pastor's daughter did and every good pastor's wife did, but it had no meaning. It had no life. The natural man cannot receive the things of God. They're foolishness unto him. But I read my Bible every day, but I didn't have any spiritual understanding. It's just like a dead person. If you've ever been around someone who's passed away, you can go touch them. I remember touching my mom after she died and you know, there's no response. Why? She's physically, she was physically dead. Well, that's our condition before Christ, right? We were spiritually dead. But praise God, he's made us alive together with him and forgave our sins. In fact, the word forgive here means to pardon or rescue. Can the false teachers do that? Can they make you alive? Can they forgive your sins and trespasses? I don't think so. So, ladies, another reason we're complete in Christ is the T on your acrostic. Your trespasses have been forgiven. Your trespasses have been forgiven. Well, Paul continues to write in verse 14 that Christ is complete, and he demonstrates that in a real way. Notice verse 14. He's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. So how did Christ demonstrate that he's enough, that we are complete in him? By wiping out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, it was contrary to us. Now, what's he talking about, the handwriting of requirements? He's talking about the Mosaic Law. It was against us. In fact, the wiping away means to blot out the handwriting of ordinances. It was opposed to us. It was a hindrance to us. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, he says this. Clearly, you're an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is your heart. And we have such trust. 
trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think any of thing of ourselves as being ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And he goes on to say, who's made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Why? The letter kills, but spirit gives what? Life. In fact, in Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Now, what did Christ do with those requirements that were against us? Well, notice what Paul says. He took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. I love this. In fact, taking it away means he wholly removed it. He took it out of the way. Ladies, Paul is telling the Colossian believers those ordinances were done away when Christ died. They tried to keep the law as they understood it. But the burden of trying to keep it was difficult. The more they tried, the more it became against them. It was contrary to them. And ladies, Christ took those IOUs, the written law. He nailed it to the cross. Christ wiped out the debt we owed and totally erased it by nailing it to the cross. In fact, this is an interesting picture he gives us because in the biblical world, it was customary when a criminal was on a cross, they would take whatever crime he committed and they would nail it above the cross. And remember that was that happened with Jesus when they took uh, uh, the accusation, they put it above the cross and they said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Ladies, Justice Christ's accusation was nailed to the cross, so Christ nails our accusations to the cross. He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. In fact, it was also customary during the biblical world. They would take a nail and they would thrust it through papers that they would declare old and obsolete. And that's what Christ did. He took that nail, he nailed our sins, and he declared them old and obsolete. He wiped them away when he nailed it to the cross. I like what one translation says. Christ has utterly wiped out the condemning evidence of broken laws and commandments, which always hung over our head and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his head on the cross. Ladies, here we have the L on our acrostic to the answer is why we are complete in Christ alone. The law was nailed to the cross. The law was nailed to the cross. Therefore, you don't need a psychologist to help you get in touch with your feelings and tell you what to do with all those bad behaviors you have. You don't need a psychologist to help you drudge up all your sinful past so you can blame it on someone else or go on Oprah and talk about it or blame it on your circumstances. Christ nailed those things to the cross. He forgave us all our sins. We're complete in him. Well, we've come to the final reason we're complete in Christ in verse 15. Paul says he disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Isn't it interesting that Christ created the principalities and powers He's head of all the principalities and powers. So therefore, it makes sense what? He can disarm them. He can disarm all those fallen spirits. Now, what did he do after he disarmed all the principalities and powers? Notice what Paul says. He made a public spectacle of them. 
He triumphed over them. In fact, it's a very interesting picture because in the biblical world, when they would go to war and they would defeat a certain group of people, they would strip those men of all their clothes and their swords, and they would have them walk down the street of that town as a spectacle, showing what? We are the victors. They are the victims. We have disarmed them. We have taken all their clothes. We have taken their their weapons for warfare. This is an open public triumph. And Paul is saying Christ had the final victory over all the principalities and powers, and he made an open public triumph. Ladies, Christ disarmed those demonic powers, and he triumphed over them in them. So the final reason Christ is enough and we are complete in him is this. This is the O on your acrostic. He overcame all principalities and powers. He made a spectacle of them. He overcame all principalities and powers. So, dear one, why do we want something else besides Christ when we are complete in him? We don't need anything else. First of all, we have seen our circumcision is in Christ. Has your heart been circumcised? Has there been a cutting away of your old life? Are you counting on any outward works of righteousness to get you into heaven? Secondly, Christ on the O overcame all principalities and powers. He has disarmed all evil powers. Is that disarmament evident in your life? Does Satan and any of his cohorts have any hold on you? What spiritual battles have you been victorious over this week? Thirdly, we are complete in Christ because the M, man's ideas, are foolish. My dear sister, are you being deceived today by the ideas of men, and I would say women, probably more women than men, Have you fallen prey to the Christian psychology of our day? Please remember you have everything you need for life and godliness in Christ. You don't need anything else. Number four, the P on your acrostic, our pleasure is in him. Are you so full of Christ that you don't need anything else or want anything else? Do you have the Lord and is he enough for you? If not, what do you find pleasure in or whom do you find pleasure in? Well, the fifth thing on why we're completed in Christ is the law was nailed to the cross. Have you been free from the curse of the law? Are you making spiritual lists for yourself and others? Have you been saved by grace and grace alone? Well, we're complete in Christ because our entirety is in Christ. Christ is God in the flesh. Do you believe that? If so, then does how does it flesh out in your life and your conduct? Do you need Christ plus something else or is he truly enough? Number seven on our list is trespasses have been forgiven. Have your sins been forgiven? Have you been freed from the bondage of guilt? Have you thanked God for his sacrificial gift of his son on the cross? And then lastly, we are complete in Christ because his energizing power raised him and it raised us. 
Has your old life been buried? And has his energizing power raised you to newness of life? Are you different today than you were a year ago? In what ways have you seen that power in your life this week? Are you complete in Christ? Does your life demonstrate it? Are you caught up in the trends of our day? Ladies, the problem with philosophy, legalism, mysticism, and all the other isms, we're going to see two more next week. You know the problem with all the isms, asceticism, legalism, mysticism? It reduces what Christ has done. It reduces the person of Jesus Christ. Our salvation, our sanctification is in him and him alone. We do not need anything else. Peter is clear. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Either we believe that or we don't believe it. He's either given us everything we need for life and godliness or he hasn't. And his word says he has. Now, maybe this lesson is nothing new to you. But let me say by way of closing... It is possible for healthy Christians to be led astray. It happens every day and more and more as we see the day approaching. My prayer for each of us is that we won't go after all the new and novel ideas that are out there. Ladies, all we need is Christ alone. And I pray that you and I will not be a casualty of the 21st isms that are going on in the 21st century. Let us remember man's ideas are dangerous to the soul, but the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving our soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have saved us, that you have called us out of darkness into your light. And Father, I just pray that we can grasp the depth of what Paul is saying in this passage We do not need anything else. We don't need what the world is telling us that we need in order to be complete or satisfied. Lord, help us to be satisfied in Christ alone and nothing else. For those of us that are caught up in rules and regulations and traditions and the elementary principles of life and thinking if I just do this this thing or that thing or this hour thing, I can find favor with you and I can be more spiritual than the lady sitting next to me. Lord, help us to rid ourselves of those foolish ideas. Help us to be more concerned about the purity of our heart than the outward manifestations of religion. Guide us as we go into our groups. May our discussion and time together be profitable and rich. And Lord, I pray that you would um, bless in our time for Christ's sake. Amen.